All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Here's Johnny. Vanity. Definitely my favorite city. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. The power of Christ compels you! This is my boomstick! What's your favorite scary movie? Good evening, horror heads, and welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Daniel DeBona. And I'm David Uyoa. And we are here to celebrate St. Patrick's Day with you with what I believe to be our first ever Irish horror film that we've done on this show. And we are going to be talking The Hallow. The Hallow came out in 2015, and I'm not to really any fanfare here in the States. This was one that I just stumbled across when I saw that we were going to be recording close to, or as it is now, on St. Patrick's Day. And I was just kind of looking for an Irish horror film, and this one popped up. So, uh, you know, it was was something to look into with it being St. Patrick's Day. It, It ended up. You know, it was it was a good watch, though, I, I think, personally. But, I mean, you know, it blended some creature feature, some some suspense, some horror, some stuff like that. So, kind of overall, what would you think of The Hallow, Dave? You know, I didn't quite know what to make of it at first. I knew that I liked it. I knew I definitely knew I didn't dislike it right right off the bat. Right. Um, and the it was one of those things where the the more I thought about it, the more I ended up liking it. Um, I thought at first, and I'm still not sure if it's going to fall into this camp. Eventually it would fall into the good for, but forgettable. Right. Kind of area where it's like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, yeah, that was good. But then there's so many other movies like it that, you end up watching in its place. Uh, it is fairly special effects heavy, which was uh, cool, uh, particularly because they were virtually all like practical special effects. Right. And, th- and that was something that I really appreciated. And that's the sort of thing that I think makes me come back to a movie again and again is, is uh, special effects that way. I was kind of hesitant going into this because when we first discussed this, I was like, man, this sounds pretty cool. And then I looked the movie up and I saw that it was directed by Corin Hardy. And that made me a little trepidatious because yes. he uh, famously or infamously directed The Nun. And yes, he did. I really did not enjoy The Nun. It To me, it was not scary. Um, it, I really it wanted to enjoy The Nun. I, I did, yeah, you. because she was, in my opinion, the most interesting thing about The Conjuring 2. Right. And uh, so, like, absolutely scary in that movie. And then when when her film comes out, it's atmospheric. It's kind of a throwback, kind of like this movie is, but not scary and definitely not interesting. Uh, right. you know, it, it took me probably three tries to get through that movie. I'd see about half an hour, 45 minutes, and then I'd check out. And then I'd be like, all right, mm-hmm. I'm done. I'll get back to it later. So it took me about three days to watch that movie. So when I saw it was Corn Hardy, I was like, mm. 
but apparently it had something to do with the writer because um, I was definitely impressed with this one. Yeah, I um I, I ended up liking it. It was one that I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, on top of it being Irish, you know, we've we've made a concerted effort to to try to vary up what type of horror movies we're watching, and th- this one kept being listed as you know mm-hmm. like a, a dark and twisted fairy tale type thing. But outside of that, I didn't really know what to expect. And it became evident early on that what we were into here was an uncharted territory of shiver movies. And that is something about fey creatures, about, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Hildenfolk, if you will. Uh, you know, just just and so the, this idea of of these magical mythological creatures that exist in our own backyards. So then I was hooked. Then I was like, I was like, oh, OK, yeah, no, cool, cool, cool. Fake creatures. That's something new. Um, definitely had some ups and downs. Uh, I did love that you used the word atmospheric because that's mm-hmm. I mean, that's what sold this thing, man. It had some genuinely scary moments. And usually those were accompanied by the fact that like just everything going on in any particular shot was was so good. Um there was the there was a very small cast, you know, of the characters that we saw. I think only about four or five of them actually had names, like the main couple, the baby, the guy who was always threatening them. And then there was like yeah. there was a cop and a shop owner and all that stuff, but mm-hmm. none of them really had names. And so those couple of people did a pretty good job. There's, you know, one of the faults here may be in kind of the the, the relationship type story and i don't even know that it was meant to be like part of the story their the relationship seemed kind of odd but i did love the way that this delved into um like irish folklore and this idea of changelings and things like that that we're going to get to like that was all stuff that it was like yeah there's an entire you know we we've done how many slashers you know and and how many just just straight up and ghost stories and stuff like that there's there's this whole world out there of folklore that's that's terrifying um and that we as you know like western civilization or just americans sometimes only know these disneyfied versions of things you say fairy people think of tinkerbell right. yeah um but there's there's a long and storied history of fairies being not just mischievous but just straight up dickheads Right. Yeah. Like, and so it was cool to not just see a buxom woman in a tight, you know, unitard flying around and, and being cute. It was like, these things are fairies. Like, okay, I see you. Yeah. Like, let's figure this out. <laughs> and so I did enjoy that while that's not a completely untapped, you know, market out there, there are a lot of movies that do that stuff. It was fun to run across something new like that. Uh, so when it was all said and done, I do kind of find myself, as soon as you said it, I realized that you would just hit the nail on the head about something, which is, it was good, but was it memorable? And, and I know we'll get to more of that when we're rating, but that absolutely defines some of the weird underlying like feelings I've had. Like This feels like one of those movies where four or five years from now, somebody's going to be talking about something and go, ah, what was that one like Irish movie about, you know, and it was like the creatures in the woods. Yeah. Like I do worry that it might fall into that category now that you've defined it as such, but for the moment right now, 48 hours after watching it, uh, I liked it. I thought they did a lot of really good stuff with it. I, I agree. That's kind of how I feel about it. You know, I don't know how I will feel in the future. Um, possibly our number one fan here, uh, <laughs> Frank Kowalski, 
uh, thanks for joining us again, says, uh, I watched this a while ago just because two of the characters are from Game of Thrones. Um, okay, so yes. I, um, um, Donnelly, I remember as being from Game of Thrones. Yeah, call, who's, yeah. Who's um, other... Calm Donnelly was from Game of Thrones. I'm trying to uh -huh. see who the other one was that was in Game of Thrones. Oh, um, uh, Adam, um, Joseph Maui, the guy who played Adam, uh -huh. was Benjamin Stark on Game of Thrones. Oh, was he? According to his, uh, according to his wiki page. He was. <laughs> that's uh, is that that's Jon Snow's uncle, the one that uh, was at the wall. Is that who that um, was? That is what I'm double checking now. Benjamin Stark is Ned Stark's younger brother and a first ranger in the Night's Watch. Well played, okay. Dave. Yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah, hey. it's been a while since I've seen it. Kowalski, good pull on that one. Yeah, I completely nice. forgot about him. <laughs> yeah, I, I I recognized Colm Donnelly right away. I was like, yes. oh, you were the son of a bitch at the Red Wedding, Ooh. weren't you? Yeah, he was. <laughs> Oh man, oh that's a great scene too. So um you remember just just sidebar here because I feel like this I feel like this episode <laughs> where we're gonna we're both drinking whiskey, we're gonna have some fun. I'm on spring break. Um do you remember just complete nothing to do with anything? You remember when the red wedding first happened and like the big thing online was like one, don't spoil the red wedding, but two, like just reaction videos of people seeing it for the yeah. first time. Like it was like it was like that two girls, one cup phenomenon of like, <laughs> we're not gonna show you the video, we're just gonna show you how people react to seeing it for the first time. <laughs> that was what got um my wife into the show because I had been watching since like the very first episode. I had never read any of the books, right. but I had lots of friends when I was in um, in high school and college who were reading the books. And so when the show started coming out, I was like, this is a perfect opportunity for me not to read the books yes, because I could, I could just watch the movie or the, the TV show. And so I started watching from the very first episode and she was like, ah, you know, it's probably like some Lord of the Rings bullshit. And I was like, no dude, you'll like this. It's, it's very political. And, um, and you'll, you'll dig it. It's West wing in, in fantasy world. And, <laughs> oh my uh, God, it is. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> and, uh, she's a big fan of the West wing as, as, uh, if you are like a, a, a decent person, so are you. I want yeah, nothing yeah. to do with you if you don't like the West Wing. And uh, I take that back. Please listen to the podcast, even if you don't like I'll the tell West you Wing. all about it while we walk quickly down a hallway handing papers back. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so she kept hearing about this red wedding. She's like, what is this? I'm like, I can't tell you. Right. If I tell you, I, 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 I ruin it. She's like, all right, fine. So, um, so yeah, we, uh, that's, that's how she got hooked. And Mr. Kowalski comes in and says, Game of Thrones had me hooked just on the gore in the first 10 minutes. And I mean, that, that show yeah. did not hold back no. on the gore. And, you know, not to wear Game of Thrones podcast, but while we're doing this. So like, uh, I, I watched it like off and on, like every once in a while, something would happen where I'd just be like, I need a break from this show. And so I would take just breaks from it and then binge and catch up. Eventually something would happen. I'd take mm -hmm. a break, but I did watch the final season as it happened. Well, then when it was all said and done, like uh, I eventually, I eventually gave my parents, uh, my parents started like using my HBO and uh, my dad was like, should I watch this? And I was like, yeah, because my dad hates to watch anything like while it's still going. Mm -hmm. So I was like, yeah, I think it's over now. Give it a shot. But then they didn't for a little while. Then all of a sudden I started getting these emails that were like, hey, we see you just finished season one of Game of Thrones. And I was like, oh, cool. My parents are watching Game of Thrones now. And then it's like 12 hours later. It's like, we see you finished season, season two of Game of Thrones. And I'm like, did you Damn, guys quit your, hard. You guys quit your <laughs> jobs? Like, <what>? <laughs> <laughs> 
and yeah, they, they burned through it, man. Like, uh, without having to take the breaks that I did, like, uh, man, after, after dude burned his daughter at the stake, I was like, I need to walk away for like, I don't know, two weeks. That was rough. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I just, I need a minute to, to really assess my life and what I'm doing. And, uh, that show anyway. had more horror than like even the walking dead did. I dude, think. And it was, and yeah, maybe it's because like when you're watching the walking dead, like because of the atmosphere, like the horror is just expected. And even though this is like a war show, you know, mm-hmm. like it's still like, man, I don't know, man. But yeah, anyway, so Game of Thrones, two of the two of the four named cast members in this movie. There you go. Um, <laughs> um, so we always talk about story when it comes to uh, to a movie, because a movie is primarily a uh, delivery device for a story. Right. Um, one of the things that this movie does is unite family drama and that sort of mythological fantasy that you were talking about, right? Uh, specifically Irish mythology, yes. which I don't think happens very often. Uh, we get other kinds of mythology. You know, we get a lot of Roman, a lot of Greek mythology. We get a lot of American mythology, and we don't think about it this way, but that's exactly what superhero movies are, Yes, is American mythology. They are the American gods, right? True enough. I mean, and and to to a different extent than that, all the slasher films that we talk about that get eight and nine um, sequels, th- those yeah. become American mythology, especially when they're so. Uh, I'm uh, to the to the listener who might not follow us on Twitter. You should at Shiverpod. Um, mm-hmm. You've noticed there have been quite a few tweets here about the Friday the Thirteenth franchise because that's what I've decided to do with my spring break. Is yeah. um, watch what there's there's ten and then there's. Freddy versus Jason and the remake and the remake. Yeah. Um, so I've got three left um, because I just finished Jason takes Manhattan last night. So I've still got Jason goes to hell, but um, when, when and you get, don't forget Jason X. Oh, and Jason X. Yes. Jason X. I've got four. Once left. Jason goes to space, Jason in space, yeah. but um, the, <laughs> that, that idea of the, of the, the, the lesson laden slasher film, right. Then Jason is the perfect example of that. It's like, Oh, yeah. you, you did drugs and you're boning, you know, now I got to kill you. So yeah, we do. <laughs> you're right. We get a lot of American mythology. And so I, I think that this movie attempted to weave these things together in a really interesting way. Um, do you think that these two elements, that family drama and the, uh, the Irish mythology and of course, the to, to me, there was a sense of um, like nationalistic pride in what Ireland is and what Ireland represents. You think Ireland, you know, why is it that we wear green on St. Patrick's Day? It's because of the, the lush Irish woods and forests. Right. You know, um, and um, and this is uh, an issue of what's going on in Ireland. You know, it, it begins, the whole movie begins with a, uh, a quote from the book of invasions. And uh, this is something that I had absolutely no knowledge of. I looked it up after this and the book in, of invasions is one of the earliest. <sighs> Let's get the glug, glug, glug. Was it close enough? Could you hear the glug? Close enough. Close enough. Close <laughs> enough. Yeah. Um, we uh, we don't get a lot of that over here in the United States, but the, the Book of Invasions is apparently one of the oldest 
Irish texts. It's uh, some of the first written Gaelic. And um, yeah, going back to the 11th century. So uh, the stuff is a thousand years old. And it's uh, a very much like Beowulf was right. for for um, for old English. It mixes mythology with history and religion to give a sort of uh, a contemporary for that time look at what Ireland was, which is uh, a, a, an island that is essentially constantly conquered. Yes. A people that are constantly beaten down. And uh, and we 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 see this in this movie. So does does this work as a a, a a melding of all these things? And above all, does it scare you? So if if the intention of this movie was to meld these things, then this idea of the the hallow. Um, these these fake creatures that steal babies and replace them with changelings was the perfect way to do it in the fact that that is a myth that hinges on family being important. If if you don't, you know, if if your family is not, if family's just not that big a deal to you, then it might not even matter to you if your child were replaced by a changeling or something like that. So this was absolutely the way to go with that the family drama element of it was so hit and miss. It felt to me like there were times when I felt like this married couple was very, very close. But then there were also times where I couldn't tell if I was supposed to be getting some sort of tension vibe between them. Right. Which, Mm -hmm. which was, and you know, I guess that that to an extent makes it more realistic, right? Because you know, it's not always as out in the open as is presented in a movie. But they had, they did have a very realistic relationship, and that not everything was good, not everything was bad. They got at each mm-hmm. other, but they also seemed to still be really into each other. Um, so it did a good job with that. But I do, I do think that the 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 meat of the story of what makes it interesting here lies in the the mythology part mm-hmm. i love the idea of the fact that you know so, so when the movie starts we get this guy and he's out like with this baby on his back and he's scraping fungus off trees and he's tagging some of them and with x with white x's like in fern gully and he says something to the extent of like it's a shame we have to cut down so many of these so you're immediately like, okay, so whatever this guy does for a living, like he, it's his responsibility. They have to pick, he has to pick out trees. Like we don't know why they're cutting them down. Um, and so that's all you're really given at first. Then you immediately start finding out that people aren't happy that he's out in these woods, that he's going to upset what they call the hallow, the fake creatures that live out there. They steal babies, things like this. It was I love the I love the idea of the people being in the wrong. Um, like whenever whenever I watch a horror movie, there's always a certain cool element to people getting their comeuppance. Now mm-hmm. that being said, the baby didn't do anything; he didn't deserve any part of it. But yeah. 
from the from the perspective of the the hallow the the fae that live out in these woods this guy is just coming into an area he doesn't know anything about and he's deciding what goes and what stays they've been there longer than time itself the um and i and we're going to get more into the hallow and stuff like that but i mean the 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 legend of the hallow is that they were there basically before time and then as light came they were driven quite literally underground and as people moved into these areas so this has been theirs forever. And so it's always a cool storyline when we're not just presented with victims, when we're presented with people where it's like, uh, okay, yeah, sure, it's extreme, but maybe you had this coming. And, and it's it's a weird thing to kind of find a way to side with the antagonist in a movie like that. But I really loved that element of it. And they did a really good job of taking their time in using the story to show you the hallow, like by the time you had a really good idea of what they look like, like you were deep in the shit. Mm -hmm. And so the story evolved at a really good pace. And whereas a couple weeks ago with Texas Chainsaw, I was like, the story was a MacGuffin. Like this movie was family drama. It was survival horror. This movie was, yeah. a, this movie was a fucking resident evil game. Like come to life very much so, yeah. And so you know that's that's an interesting element too, right? This this idea of yeah, the story is can they make it through the night? And so while there is a lot of action and there are a lot of scares, this is not one where the story just evolves, it just exists to get you from point A to point B. The story is why you're invested in this one, which is uh, and all layers of the story, the the story of the hallow, the story of the people in town and Cora. You come to find out that the guy who's always giving them warnings about going out into the woods, his daughter was was straight up kidnapped um, by the hallow. And so that's why he's so nervous about them. And they did such a good job of weaving in so much of the mythology real lightly, um, like the fact the iron. You know, that's uh, fairy yeah. fairies being affected by iron. That's that's ancient mythology. You know, like as long as iron has existed, it has been a bugaboo for for fake creatures. And so they did such a good job of weaving some of that stuff in. They put like the little Necronomicon looking book thing in there. Yeah. He flipped through it, but we never got like some long detailed like reading out of it. We just kind of got just enough to understand what was going on. I thought they did a really good job with the story for this. Like of the parts where it was lacking, it wasn't because I was uninterested in the story. And so I did really, really like what they presented there. I have to agree. Um, I think every element of this story works. And I think um, we talked about this a little bit when we went into the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, where if you pull back a little bit on the horror and decide to really invest in your story, you can have a great story, but it is going to detract from the horror element of the movie. And when what you have is a very atmospheric horror movie like this, I think you can do that because the movie doesn't rely on gore it doesn't rely on the next kill it's totally reliant upon the tension that's building and yes. as tension builds between uh husband and wife and between neighbors that creates a stronger sense of tension between them and the creatures 
And I, I, I felt like it really worked here where, yeah. where it, it, it all kind of just built to a head where when we finally see, when we finally realize what's going on with him, right? That transformation, that very, you know, metamorphosis uh, style thing, you know, uh, very reminiscent yes. of the fly and all that uh, really resident evil. Now that you mention it, I'm like, oh, fuck yeah. yeah, that is very Resident Evil, you know, and he's seeing himself turn into one of these creatures, you know, uh, but having having not lost any of his humanity yet. Right. That, that's that's a really interesting thing where he knows where he's going, but he's fighting it tooth and nail to ensure that his family will get out. Right. But as you said, it's really difficult to root Katie. for it's really difficult to root for the protagonist here in much the same way. Sorry, I thought I muted that. <laughs> um, oh, man, I have to silence my wife's chihuahua all the time <laughs> on the show. Uh, and, and so far, I think I've been good at muting. But uh, the little fucking thing just goes absolutely <laughs> bonkers. If, if she's downstairs when we're recording... Um, a leaf falls outside and immediately the fucking bells are going off in her head and, and right. you know, someone's attacking. <laughs> and so then I got I, I got to shout, you know, fucking, you know, the shut up and go upstairs. Right, right. And, you know, shouldn't listen. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, anyway, I don't remember what I was saying, but. Fair. I did like it. Yeah. I did, I, I, I did like the story. Well, and uh, you know what's – and you're right. Like this idea of of story mattering. When you're watching a slasher, it's like, okay, how's the next person going to get killed? Like what are, what are you going to do to get me there? Whereas in this, like you're, you're desperately rooting against the kill. Okay, so we got Frank Kowalski here saying that Corn Hardy took inspiration from uh, Alien, The Evil Dead, mm. The Fly, and The Thing, which is why I really like the fungi experimentation scene. Yeah, they're now absolutely the Evil Dead vibes in this movie were absolutely inescapable. Yeah, right. Like this, Especially this, being this fine to this one house. Yes, yeah. Mm. This very much felt like like uh, like a like a, a love letter to Sam Raimi. Right. And uh, so it, down to the fact that, by the way, there were also and I know that this is a Hollywood term, but the first time I ever heard it is when we were talking about um, Evil Dead on here. The credits in this movie actually list fake shemps like it says. Yes. That in the credits. Yes, for the it does. Movie. And, yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh, shit, more Evil Dead vibes. Right. Because that the first time I'd ever heard that expression was when we were talking about Evil Dead and they were straight up listed in the credits as fake shemps, which I thought was. And very similar to the original Evil Dead, the final monster, the changeling, when it dies, it's um, it's claymation. Yes. In, in like that classic Ray Harryhausen way. And uh, and I think it works both as a throwback to the old Ray Harryhausen movies and to the original Evil Dead. But also, I mean, we've come a long way when it yeah. comes to, uh, to Claymation. I don't know if you've seen any of those Leica Studios movies, uh, Paranorman and Coraline. Oh, yeah. Stuff God, like I that. love those. I mean, where we are today in stop motion animation, Ray Harryhausen would like be flabbergasted. Uh, it's, it's absolutely bonkers where we are today with that sort of stuff. Um, 
I do remember where I was going. Excellent. It's hard. It's hard to root for the protagonist in this movie. There we go. Even though you're right, they do seem very real, right? I love that scene in the kitchen after they've put the baby down, and oh, yeah. and they're they're cooking the pasta, and he's talking to her about like the the, the little, fungus, the, the the fungus, and how it you know burrows deep into the ant and takes control of the ant and all the while like he's just observing his wife cook it's a very normal task right not sexy at all but he's so in love with his wife that it's like oh yeah all right you got it going on you know and like if that's not what married life is i don't know right you know you know, that's something that I have experienced many, many times. My wife's just cooking and I look over and I'm like, damn, <laughs> you know, so it it was it was very real. And yet it's difficult to root for these people because they are the outsiders. They yes. are the other. They're coming into this place, right, to go back to the book of invasion. Right. They're going into this place. And. Who the fuck are they? Yeah, they're the colonizers, right? Like they're, they're, they, they are. Yeah, they are the colonizers, and they're. I don't know how many times they were told like this isn't London. Yeah, you know, it's it's very clear that they are outsiders. For for many Americans, any accent that seems to come from the UK or Australia is just an English accent or a an British English, accent, yeah. and it doesn't matter where it's from. They all sound different in much the same way that someone from Georgia sounds very different from someone in Kentucky, very different from someone in Massachusetts, you know, so it's it's very different and the cultures are different and the the lifestyles different. And so when when you're like being told in the nicest possible way, uh, stop doing what the fuck you're doing because you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Right. And you keep pushing on. Right. Um, I love the way that you put it uh, back in uh, the can- the original Candyman review that we did. You fuck around and find out. Yeah. And and that's precisely what happens here. Yeah. I mean, they that's and that's the thing, because they because even once they were still in it. Right. And they're and, you know, we we only get the initial scene of him going out there. But then. They tell him like, yeah, I'll fix your window, but this is going to keep happening until your wife puts the iron back on the windows, mm-hmm. right? Like they, they let him know, like you guys are inviting this, you know, whether or not it's your intention to invite it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. What what was it from, um, from Veronica, right? It doesn't matter who you're trying to talk to. It's who you're talking yeah. to. What, what your intentions of taking the bars off the windows are don't matter. What matters is the fact that you pissed them off and you took the bars off your windows. So, yeah, they're going to come get you. And yeah. you would know that if you could pull your head out of your ass long enough to realize that this world existed before you were here. And so you're absolutely right. You hit this moment where it's like, man, I don't want y'all to lose your kid. But, mm, like, pay attention to what everyone and everything is trying to tell you. Frank comes in saying, I think the best example of them being outsiders is with the police officers. They gave me a bad vibe when they disregarded most of what happened and no warnings compared to the carpenter and calm. Yeah, I I love I I do love that the police officer, 
he um uh, going back he had the vibe of um when we were talking veronica and and, uh, and we said um i don't believe in sangria but i respect it or santeria yeah sangria. i b- believe in sangria i do um, believe in sangria <laughs> yeah um i don't believe in santeria but i respect it right like that mm-hmm. was the vibe the cop had he's like i'm from belfast like we've got right. our own shit to worry about but also you should know that this might be a thing and mm-hmm. you should pay attention to it and they never seemed to they didn't care about that until they were in imminent danger from not caring about it so you're right it becomes very hard to feel and that. who and who do they run to yeah they, they run they, the they ran to calm donnelly yep. you know that's 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 where she goes you know and at that point it's too fucking late and you see it in his eyes it's not that he doesn't want to help yeah. it's just i've got my own shit to take care of right now and i tried to warn you yeah. So get the fuck off my property. <laughs> right. And so, so, as we're, so as we're looking at all these warnings and we keep talking about, you know, like the, what are they finding out? What they're finding out is that the hallow are a very real thing. So the hallow is a, this movie is a reimagining of this ancient Irish fairy tale of fairies and fae creatures that live in the woods and that replace babies with changelings, which essentially look just like your baby, but doesn't grow like it, doesn't act like it, and now they have your child for whatever nefarious things they may want to do with it. So when you're when you're looking at this movie and you're looking at the hallow, the creatures, how did they how did you feel about them as a horror movie creature? Did they scare you? Did it work? What'd you think? I think this is the most effective thing about the movie is the hallow themselves they created i think a very original looking creature uh it doesn't look like any of the fairies that we've ever seen before it doesn't really look like any of the movie monsters that we've seen before and yet we instinctually know what they are right so they they somehow tap into something uh basic something that is inside of us all and it's very scary and very inhuman i was watching some of the special features uh that that go along with this movie and the way that they created these monsters was spectacular uh they got a movement coach very similar to the way that most movies will to make you move in a very inhuman way right because it's only natural to move the way a, a person would i am just now learning that a movement coach is a thing uh yeah like what andy yeah. circus does kind of yeah like you know you look at the way that uh the reason why he was so often cast in these roles like um like caesar in planet of the apes right and and like Gollum is because he could like just naturally move in ways that did not seem human you know um that's that's an incredible thing to be able to do that uh i always mention that arnold schwarzenegger does not get enough credit for what he did in the terminator because to make yourself look robotic right is really difficult not to be a bad actor because you can be a bit because you can like you you can recognize bad bad acting right it's pretty easy to be a bad actor but to convincingly have no emotion not that it's like the wrong emotion or not enough emotion or that you're simply just not good at it but to be totally emotionless right and to in fact you know move your body the way a robot would 
I always go back to that scene in the first Terminator where he's he's inside the parking lot scanning for them. Mm-hmm. And he does this thing where like he he moves his eyes and then his head moves and then he pans his eyes back and then his head moves again. It's a simple little thing, but it's really convincing. And that's something he thought of himself. If you watch the special features, it's something that he talks about with James Cameron. And it's like, damn, that's really good. You know, so it, the way that a person moves can totally be convincing for something that isn't supposed to be human. Right. Because if this thing that isn't human moves like a human, suddenly I've, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not afraid of it anymore. And they not only trained these actors, they used, uh, I think it was something like seven or eight different actors to portray all of them. And um, they used different prosthetics so that they all look different, but they also elongated limbs, used um, different sorts of things like uh, like skateboards to have them like crawl on the floor so that it would be a little bit more seamless. Okay. You know? um, uh, sometimes they'd like have them stand on like a like a really long tarp and pull the tarp along while they were like just standing in place to make it seem as if they were like more floating. It was really interesting stuff that they did all practical effects. And to me, that's what really makes them scary. That's why for me, the night of the living dead series, you know, Dawn of the dead day of the dead, these movies will always be infinitely more watchable than just about any other zombie movie series because the effects are all practical effects because they appear to be happening on like behind the camera. And, 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 and that's, that's something that drives me like insane. How the fuck did they do that? That's crazy. You know, that scene in Dawn of the dead where the machete just whacks the guy in the face. How the fuck did they do that? Yeah. You know, well, I mean, you can read about it now and you can see about it now. <laughs> but when you first watch the movie, yeah, you're yeah. like, how, how does that fucking happen? Uh, Frank Kowalski coming in again, saying, which also makes the older changelings react to save the baby, showing they actually have some sort of nefarious motive and plans going on. And that's the other thing, the way that they behaved, not just the way that they move, but the way that they behaved. Um to go back to that idea that they were controlled by a fungus, right? That there was this sort of hive thinking right? that, that was going on. Um, this wasn't simply a survival movie for the family. It was survival for the hallow too. Correct. They're trying to propagate. Yes. They need to ensure that they continue to live. Uh, like you said, they've been around since the dawn of time. Uh, some of these guys are looking a little rough around the edges. A little bit. <laughs> well, and I mean, and that's the thing. Like you're once, once you, so when you're looking at this idea of the hallow, so one thing I loved about the mythology of this movie, um, like I said, they, they, they have that book and he just kind of yeah. thumbs through it. He doesn't just straight up read, but they like, they show a picture and it's like, okay, that's a baby. And then they show one that kind of looks mostly like a baby. And then it says changeling underneath it. And so you're like, okay, I kind of know about the idea of changelings. Right. Mm-hmm. But they don't, you know, they don't spoon feed it to us. They're like, all right, here's the seed. You can kind of see where we're going with this, but let's see mm-hmm. how it follows through. But then they go so much further than that. When he has the realization, by the way, I just, I fucking love, I love that, like, 
I don't know, maybe it's like 10 minutes in the movie where you're not sure if it's just the fungus and he's lost his mind or if he does and can tell if it is a changeling. And they're very careful to one thing that I loved uh, acting directorial, whatever it was from the moment that he makes that realization. And when the mom gets the baby back, you'll notice that she never full on looks the baby in the face. Like Mm -hmm. from the moment that he says, it's it's not it's it's not our baby that's a thing you have to give it to me and to keep selling that and the fact that she doesn't believe him she never full on looks it in the face because then it would be too easy to be like you're not going to tell me that a mom wouldn't look her baby in the face and know it wasn't real blah 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 so they're very careful about that which i just i mm-hmm. love i love that so much cuz i kept waiting for like that really cheesy moment where the mom looked and was like oh no this isn't my baby but they never gave us that what they gave us was a woman who just wanted to save her baby so much that she wasn't going to listen. He was crazy. She had to go because she was holding a baby. And as far as she was concerned, that was hers. This idea of changelings is, is such a terrifying and odd thing, mm-hmm. right? Because you're right. When you look at it, on the one hand, it's like, God, as a parent, like what, somebody steals my baby and just replaces it with something else. But then on the other hand, you're like, and you see it in this movie brought to light that it's like, it's not necessarily malicious as much as it is for a need to continue. And they show you that when you see what is Cora and you go, Cora has become a hallow. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they have to do something like they are obvious. They and a are, maternal figure. Yes. She's sitting there holding the baby and the pacifier. Rocking it. Yeah. And the, the pacifier and the hand man. And you're just like, and that one scene does so much to not just teach you about the mytho- the mythology of the hallow, but to advance it, right? One of the things that we're always looking for on this podcast is how do you raise the bar? How do you take what exists and makes it make it better? The the mythology of fairies, the hallow, and changelings are you know as old as tale as old as time. So what they did with this movie where they were like, well, what if they're gnarly? and they're mean and and just all of this is is awful about them but what if there is an element to this that is very you know paternal and maternal and or just just instinctual which is if we don't occasionally steal a baby then we cease to exist we were driven underground we've got nothing left we've got this one area and they're going to keep taking it from us you know urban sprawl it's very real and so they they do what they can. And you're right. Again, there's another survival element here. And you're like, shit, it's terrible they're stealing babies. But also maybe it's terrible what people are doing to them. And so you're constantly at odds with yourself about this idea of whether or not the, the changeling is actually a changeling, whether it's a terrible thing. I found the hallow to be horrifying. Mm-hmm. And not in the don't get me wrong there are some jump scares in this there there are some definite oh shits right but <laughs> the just just this everything about them you're right they look just human enough but also not human enough that it's disturbing mm-hmm. they they exist in you know this this only dark and they're they've they're very strong Apparently, like, you know, they can punch through walls and roofs and people. And, you know, it's there was so much about them that was so scary. And then after they spend all of this time selling you on how scary they are, 
they show you that once you become one of them, like, and they kind of open up to you about what's going on, because by the time that the, by the time that Adam like goes to their lair to prove that they have the baby still, they're not attacking him anymore because he is one of them. We've had the scene where he sits up and, and his ankle is better. He is one of them at this point. And then they, they know that he's there to get his baby back, but they're, they're very hesitant about doing much to him because they want him to understand them, which is something that when just a human, he was not willing to give when he was just a dude invading their land he couldn't be bothered to learn anything about them. And so in the ultimate act of fuck around and find out, they made him one of them. Like, you're, you're going to learn today. <laughs> and then, so you get this great moment where they're, they're very tentative about what he's doing. And it went from horrifying to... I don't know. It was this weird feeling like when he gets down into that tunnel and he sees Cora and, and she's there with the baby and they're all, you can tell they're still kind of pissed because they know he's there to take the baby, but they want him to see, they want him to learn. And once you establish more than just a monster mentality to these things, once you establish them as a living, breathing society, Mm-hmm. then there's a lot more to this. And God damn, this sold that so well for, for all the, the little faults and everything that this movie had that idea of humanizing a fairy tale monster that is initially presented to you as just grotesque and brutal was that scene blew me away. And I was so sold on what the hallow were and again, it goes back to that thing where it's like, shit, like I get that they're stealing a kid, but if I'm rooting for those humans, like, am I rooting for the bad guys? You are rooting for the bad and guys. And then you realize you are rooting for the bad guys. And it's and it's this it's this amazing aha moment that, you know, if we were any sort of historical or political podcast, there's there are layers of that story to oh, be told. So many. There are so, so many American history, especially layers of that story to be told. And they lay it all out there without spoon feeding you a bit of it. And, you know, it it might be the whiskey talking. It might just be that I was into this movie, but shit, I bought into that scene so, so hard. And I think that the Hallow became such compelling characters. I could not believe what I was presented with in that moment. There's there's two moments in this movie that I think are turning points, uh, which is weird because usually there's only one turning point right. in a movie. Uh, and the first is when he realizes that he's turning into the hallow. That's like, uh, okay, well, what way is this movie going to go? Right. Is, is he now going to join them and become a monster and attempt to uh, kill his own family? Right. Uh, or is he going to try to save them? Which is what he does. Right. Right. I saw that coming. I don't think anyone saw it going the other way. Um, if, I, if if you did, I think you misread the, the situation. Right, but they but they but they did leave they did leave just enough of that out there where you were like, ah, maybe 
maybe now that he's become one of them, maybe this is like a, this is like a double fake. It's like a double fake. It's like, right. no, you've got to change. Like, well, look, I showed up with this yeah. other baby. This must be the real one. You know, like, cause there was, that, there was a moment where I looked at it. I, you know like, what? I did have that moment. I was yeah, like, is he trying to convince her that that's the changeling? Yes. The real baby. The, cause yeah. I was like, cause it was like when his initial, you know, cause, cause if you buy into the fact that he's become one of them, it's like, okay. His initial con of what you have is a is a changeling didn't work. So now I'm going to show up with another baby that looks just like yours. And so mm. you're still kind of going, you know, because there was one moment where I was like, they're, they're, they're babies. Just pick them both up and run. One of them will die when the sun comes up. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that, that was one moment where I was like, you got them both right there. You're a grown ass woman. Just pick them both up. Like, it's okay. Yeah. You know, and so because I did have that what, moment. What are you like, a, like a triple agent? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I did have that moment where I was like. Man, how fucking devious would it be if he went and got the changeling and now was trying to get her to swap, right? Like, because yeah. until that sun comes up, yeah, you're pretty sure, but you're not 100% sure, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the other turning point was that scene that you're talking about when he goes down underneath that that house where the, the hallow have been uh, kind of hiding for, for the last, you know, thousand, you know, years or so however long it's been and it's this this thing where like his family i feel like he never really appreciated right uh he uprooted their lives to go to ireland and and not just to ireland like they came from london which is like the uber metropolis of the uk mm -hmm. to middle of nowhere ireland yeah, like, I yeah was, it, I they're not in belfast they're not in dublin right. you know that, where the fuck are they <laughs> i was i was culture shocked going from virginia beach which is nowhere near one of the biggest cities in the country but a pretty big city and moving to tuscaloosa like when i moved to tuscaloosa it was the smallest town i'd ever lived in and tuscaloosa is a decent sized city mm -hmm. and i was culture shocked for a little while so to go from london Mm -hmm. To living in a, if she, I think she, I think at one point she said something about like 500 years of Irish, uh, of Irish sludge and wear and tear or something like that are yeah. starting to show. So it's like, I mean, they literally moved to an ancient cabin in the woods. So yeah. And completely the, uprooted them. There's a point in the movie where, uh, I can't remember who it is that, that they say like, oh, it's only for another, you know, year or so, or another couple months or so, or however long it's going to be. Um, you know, so there's this sense that like, you know, she didn't want to be there and, and their, their entire lives has been you know, dictated by his job and what it is that he does, which is helping corporations tear down, you know, uh, what is inherently, um, natural to, 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 to a race of people. You know, right. that's that's awful. That's terrible. And so, you know, what is his real family? Well, he doesn't have one until he gets to the hallow. And yes. then he sees them and it's like, OK, well, this is as much a family as anything I've ever had. And pretty soon we'll all be linked even in the way that we think. Because right. there's this disconnect like he doesn't give a fuck about what's going on between Calm and his wife. The fact that she feels threatened. Like, you don't need to ask, do you want me to go over and talk to him? No, you just fucking go over there and do it. Yeah. You know? Like, that's that's just the way that it is. Um, 
you don't leave your your wife or anyone to do your dirty work. Right. You do it because that's you know you take care of your family. He I felt like he was never really interested in being there for his family. He was interested in doing what it is that he does. You know, his wife even tells him at one point um like uh, these ants really turn you on, don't yeah. they? Yeah. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's <laughs> It's a it's a it's a funny little comment, but I think it's also a comment that's really telling about who he is. He's not a guy who fucking cares about anything other than what it is he wants to do. Right. So it's fungus. It's the fungus, right? It's it's looking at the trees and deciding what those trees are going to do. So uh, it, I totally side with the hallow here in much the same way that in um, the Wicker Man. I side with the people of uh, what is it, Summerdale or what, uh, Summer Isle. Yeah. Um, I, I I side with those people. I don't side with the policeman. He's the outsider, and that's something that I I feel very strongly about. Uh, and it is for all those reasons, those political reasons that we're not. Yeah. Gonna get into here. Well, exactly, <laughs> and it's just, but it's, and again, this this idea of. You're, you're tapping into something in the collective unconscious when you decide to tackle mythology, when you decide to tackle an ancient tale, because you go back and as, and as, as silly as it is to sometimes read mythology from anywhere in the world, there's always a basic human element to why that story was told. Mm-hmm. And so when you decide to conquer the idea of of ancient mythology, then you tap into something very primal and very basic. There's a very good reason that myths of all different types exist across different types, uh, across different cultures. <laughs> really, Maggie? <laughs> that is my daughter getting ice. Um, and so, but there, there, there's a reason that across the world, people tell the story of a great flood. Because that's something that taps into something very primal and very basic. Mm-hmm. And so when you decide to present something like the hallow, you essentially, you, you, you put a lot on the line. You really try to say, I have an understanding of something very basic and very human. And this portrayal of the hallow really showed that. I agree. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, one of the other areas that I think this movie uh, really shined was in the filmmaking aspect, like the the technical aspect of this uh, special effects, direction, uh, things like that. And we've talked a little bit in the last couple of movies. I think that we've been quite. Um, quite lucky that we've gotten uh, some good movies here about the well-made horror movie and, yes. and what having a, a really well-made horror movie does for, for the overall product. Right. So um, do you think that the technical aspect of this movie uh, helps it in any way? Is there anything in particular that stands out as like, wow, that was, that was really good. So there, there are a lot of things 
in in this aspect and, uh, that that make this movie good. Um, <clears throat> when you when you re- when you watch this movie, and when when I started thinking back over it, and I start making my notes, and I start thinking about what we're going to talk about, other than other than just the 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 idea of the hallow that, that we've that we've now done at length, the things that you remember about this movie are all special effects and technical direction that sell this some of the scariest things that happen in this movie um pop up frank's um latest comment here that is a good comment yeah uh frank says the camera flash scene with the dog seeing the hallow i was hornswoggled and had to rewind a few times abso-fucking-lutely the first time that you get a glimpse of the hallow it's literally a camera flash that catches it and all you get is a a yeah. You get this glimpse of a kind of humanoid figure and a set of eyes, and you're freaked out. Then you get then you get a bunch of stuff. But man, that scene where they're in the car and they're trying to get the car started, and like every time she goes to crank it, so the lights come on, and it's just like it starts off, and there's like one, and he's way off. I'm getting goosebumps remembering that. And scene. then yeah. and then the next time she cranks it, there's a couple more and they're starting to get closer, but they're they're not moving. It's just like the light catches them and they're frozen for a second. But there's every time there's a couple more and they're a little closer. Damn. Damn, that scene was so good. That was you're 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 right, Frank. That that scene, the the initial scene had me blown away, but that scene where every time she cranked the car, you got a flashlight behind it and they were closer and there were more of them. That was the one that had me, man. And that was just, that was not only understanding the scare and, and a genius move, but it was also sticking to the rules that they established, which were they, they don't like light, mm-hmm. right? So they could move in the darkness behind the car. But then when she would go to start it and those lights would come on, they would be frozen because there were light. So many times we've talked about, you know, establish your rules, but make sure that you follow them. Another directorial decision that was made here was they absolutely 100% followed any and all rules that they set up in this movie, yeah. which is, uh, which is great. You know, that's, that's awesome. That's not something that's always done. It's easy to set up rules. It's hard to follow rules. And they, uh, they 100% followed all the rules they set. They were, you know, it's like, once you knew that they were, once you knew that they were, they didn't like iron, all it took was like a pot hanging in front of the window and they couldn't come through it. You know, it wasn't a, oh, well, in a burst of adrenaline, they can throw this to the side. And and here's a reason why that rule doesn't matter. No, no, no. We established that they can't hold, that they can't touch iron. So now that's all it takes. That was the greatest. And, and something like a, like a drop of water off a rusty nail. Yes. Will let you know that your baby's a changeling. Like it's brilliant little things like that, that. Uh, and, and the way that that was shot, since we're talking about, you know, filmmaking, like rhetorical filmmaking decisions, um, th- the way that it was all blurry, you know, for starters, he's got a patch over his eye. Right. And also he's in the midst of transforming into a fucking monster, yes. you know, so uh, can't we trust what it is that he's seeing when he's not even 100 percent certain of what he's seeing? Right. It's suggestions, shadows. And that was brilliantly done. Yes. That you're at. Yeah. The the way that the way that that was shot. I loved the scene when. So when he first kind of encounters him in the car and he gets locked in the trunk, eventually gets out, gets mm-hmm. the baby, runs home. 
grabs the shotgun and goes upstairs. And then what do we, we just get this scene that's just chaos that we don't get to see in the kitchen and just that camera flash going off, right? Mm -hmm. It's just enough to let him know that there is definitely something happening there. And, but then by the time he gets in there, you know, it's all, they've all moved on. And it's like, it's, there was so much amazing atmosphere building here and stuff that went so far beyond the story to, to tell a tension filled story uh, uh, like that, uh, that the, for, for all the little faults that this movie had, there's so many great technical choices here that, that make up for all of them. That, that scene in particular with the hollow in the kitchen really scared me for one reason. I think that there's an implication that the Hallow are trying to study their enemy. They're trying to understand what this weapon to them, it would be a weapon, right? The camera flash the camera, right? They're trying to understand what this thing is because it goes off constantly. It's like, it goes off and it goes off and it goes off. They're like, how does this work? What does it do? And how can we avoid it? Oh my God, dude. I didn't even think about it like that. I love that. It so was, it, it, it's a scene that implies so much with so little. And I don't know if that's what was really going on. Maybe I'm like just looking into this in a different way than, than what Hardy uh, intended. But that's what I got out of that scene because why else would they be messing with this thing? Yeah, I because that is the thing, right? I did wonder, like, why would they be playing with the camera? Like, there's nothing about that camera that's going to just make it go off. And I did wonder why they would be messing with it, trying to understand. Oh, shit, that's good. Damn, that's good. Bravo, sir. <laughs> I, li I like <laughs> Thank it. you. Yeah, I, it's just they, they – um, there, there were also a bunch of great little things when he's flipping through records um, up at the top. Uh, one of the records mm -hmm. he comes across is, uh, is a conspirator's record. Uh, mm -hmm. They're an Irish folk band that I don't know much about, but I know they made music with Slash. Yeah. Um, and that is kind of how I, that is like, it took me a while. To, it was like, why do I know the name, the conspirators? And so like, I get into their wiki and I'm like, Irish folk, this isn't something I would know about. Then I'm reading, I'm like, oh, Slash has collaborated with them. That is probably where I've heard it. But so just little decisions like that, you know, sometimes that's part of world building, you know, and it, and it's, mm -hmm. it just, it makes it even more interesting. You know, he's listening to, you know, when he gets in the car and he puts on, you know, he's, he's got, he's got him some, some little punk rock, you know, that he's going to throw on when he's in the car with the baby. That's something that, that is dads with kids that love rock music. You can relate to, right. You try to find just that right album when they're young. Absolutely. It's like, this is going to be the one they remember. Like say what you will. I don't, my daughter, like, I, I, I listened to The Clash a lot when she was little, then I didn't listen. Then all of a sudden, when I did listen when she was older, she seemed to remember. So there definitely seems to be something there. I planted that seed. I'm very happy about that. But um, and so, you know, they, they do they do a lot of those little things because you're right. It's like you mentioned earlier this idea that he doesn't really care that much about his family. Even once mm -hmm. shit gets weird, he's still out there like dragging the baby around. Right. Like she's just home for the day, man. Like your baby doesn't need to go to the hardware store. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, like, it's just, it's like, but it's like, but in his head, it was very mechanical, right? It's like, I'm a dad. I got to go to the hardware store. Let me grab the baby. And so it was, it was, you know, there, there were weird things like that, that, that were weird in the context of why would he do that? But the directorial decision 
to make to have him do that sells this it just sells more and more this idea that he doesn't really understand how family works you know and he shows up and he's like just call the cops i don't have time to tell you about anything i've got a gun doesn't matter if i know how to use it it's like dude <laughs> clue her into something yeah like you just showed up like sweating and you're hours late and your baby's crying and now you're grabbing a gun tell her something bro <laughs> like, right you know and so but all of those things just sell this idea that this is a guy who doesn't really get it. Like fungus makes sense to him. You know, mm -hmm. you know that he gets that fungus is a set thing. Here's how it works. It gets in the ant's brain, but family, he doesn't, he doesn't understand. And then like, he gets upset when shit does like when, when he's like, put the baby in the closet. She's like, no, he's like, this is what makes sense. This is what we have to do. It comes back to bite him in the ass. Yeah. But to him, it was the most logical thing. And as much as I want to make fun of him for that, I do tend to ride that line where I'm like, here's what's logical. Why aren't we doing it this way? Mm. And so like it was, that was, that was very human and, and an interesting element. So again, one of the other things that I loved about this, and this is, I don't know, this is just a funny thing. Uh, I mentioned earlier, I watched the credits cause I noticed they had fake Shemps listed. This is the first ever movie I've ever seen that in the credits had a fungal research director really listed in the credits yes so all of so it's like i can only they scienced hard nice they scienced hard exactly like i knew of the fungus that takes over the ant's brain one time i asked a question about that in mm -hmm. trivia but like i can only assume that this fungal director also made sure that the way it was growing like when it was growing out of that deer or yeah this kind of like stalag yeah that like stalagmites, th yeah. that's what the fungal director did and then the other thing that, that you can never say enough about when it comes to the the directorial and just special effects of this movie, the transformation, man. From the from the moment he's shot in the eye, he gets clawed in the face, it starts growing out. Like those, those really light body horror elements were done just right. Not yeah. enough to where um, I think Kowalski made a comparison to the thing earlier. Not enough to where you're like, you know, like viscerally disturbed yeah. but enough that it was uncomfy mm -hmm. i uh, man i i agree i i agree 100 and so just just a lot of those things went went so far to to do to do a lot of great things this is a movie that i think when it's all said and done you look at and it's a fun ride Mm -hmm. it's just but there are a lot of little things here and god man i i'm like i i know we're about to get into rating right now and you're you're coming about the the fay trying to figure out the camera like I'm, I'm feeling a half star on that right now so without further ado it is about that time when we get into rating the movie. Now, if you are new to Shiver, or even if you're not, we do like to remind you that we rate every movie only against itself, and therefore we create a unique rating system for each movie. Now, while Dave did have some suggestions, we did forget to talk about it before we started recording, so I'm going to go right off the cuff here with one of Dave's awesome suggestions because it is one of the epic, iconic take-home images from this movie. And Dave, out of a possible five flaming scythes, because that shit was dope. It was dope. Out of, <laughs> out of a possible five flaming scythes, what do you give the hallow, man? Man, you know, I've gone back and forth on this. And, like, even right now, I'm not 100% sure uh, which way it's going to go. I definitely think that this is not a perfect movie. Because 
we've really only said positive things about this movie. True. Uh, it, it, as far as negatives, there's not that many. But I think the problem that this movie has is that it isn't particularly memorable. And yes. that's that's a difficult thing to rate or assess uh, because should you rate a movie based on how memorable it is or how good the experience of watching the movie is in the moment? And that's a question that I don't know I have the answer to right now. But right. it is something I've been thinking about since Sunday night when I saw this movie. So um, I think that how memorable a movie is is somewhat important. But ultimately is not terribly important or um, imminently important when you're doing a rating. Right. Uh, I know that I would recommend this movie. So it is definitely over two and a half stars. I know that the movie's special effects impressed me. And so it would definitely be over three stars. And I think that this movie has so much social commentary and never lets the story get preachy and allows the special effects to drive the movie. So I know that it would be over three and a half stars. Comfortably, I would give this movie like three and three quarter stars because I don't know that four is something that I'm comfortable giving. But we know that math is not something that we do here Correct. on Shiver. So I am going to go four because I think three and a half is too too short on that, that list. So, so four flaming scythes is where i think i could say i'm okay yeah i i think that i think that you've very much pointed out a lot of it right you're when i was when 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 my my, my thoughts of this were nebulous I'll, I'll i'll admit something right here on the podcast like i take notes when i watch the movie and i and i do a lot of research and i've got a lot of notes but one of the reasons that i love doing this so much is because this forum really works for me. And I go in with a cloud in my head of what I'm going to talk about and what we have here and, and our similarities and the way that we talk about things really get me kind of laser focused on certain things. And when we opened, you brought up that idea of, is it memorable? And that struck a nerve for me because that did really encapsulate a lot of what I was having a hard time with this movie because you're right. It's, it's not a perfect movie and it does have its flaws, but when it's all said and done, there are so many things that outweigh those flaws mm -hmm. and the special effects. Incredible. Like at what, at one point at the very end of the movie, one of them literally punches through him and we get this amazing blend of digital and practical special effects that really as the last special effect of the movie, minus the claymation of the, the changeling kind of disappearing really reminds you of how special effects driven the movie was. And it was awesome. Mm -hmm. And you're right. You look at the social commentary of this and you you look at this idea of finding yourself not wanting to root for the the protagonist. Um, so you you've you've got so much here, and so I I'm I'm right with you where it's like, man, three and a half feels too low. 
four maybe feels a little high, but if I'm if I'm gonna do anything, I'm gonna give a movie that I enjoyed watching the benefit of the doubt. And I'm gonna I'm gonna crank that extra quarter and I'm gonna sit comfortably at four too. There was there was a lot more to enjoy about this movie. You know, if if four years from now somebody would be like, Have you seen the hallow? And I'd be like, Oh yeah. You know, I might not remember some of the intricacies that that are selling me on this four star right now, but but right now, 48 hours after watching it, I feel like four stars is the right place or four flaming scythes. Is is the right place? I you know what you will like, remember though is you'll remember you liked it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Whether or not I remember all the social commentary and all the details and all the moments that that you know we are, we've now committed to the internet forever. Um, <laughs> like, oh yeah, no, I've seen that. Hang on, four years ago I recorded a podcast. Let me go listen and see what I thought. Um, I, I will remember that I liked it, and I will remember that it was a writer and a director who undertook the task of telling an ancient tale and making it relevant. And that's awesome. You, you are hard pressed, hard pressed to find a kid that doesn't like some sort of mythology. There's a reason that these stories last forever. There's a reason that Hercules as a Disney film still works, (laughs) right? Because these stories tap into something. I'm a very big believer in the collective unconscious. And things that go back that far are the roots of the collective unconscious. And when you're willing to tap into that and you're, you're going you're gonna to take that on, that's huge. And I think that they did a great job with it. And I think that they brought this story to the world. You know, this, this may not be huge, but you know what? People outside of Ireland know what the hallow are now. And that's, that's, that's important. Like understanding, because then you can, then you can draw the lines to, okay, well, yeah, there's this. Well, then over here in this culture, there's this, and it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. So then you start to go, well, how would these different cultures across the world come up with these same myths at the same time? And that, that element of it, bringing that to the masses is always huge to me. So before I get more dramatic or emotional about it, like I just got for a second, <laughs> I'm going to give this four flaming sides. That's um, no, I think that was good. You know, the, the world needs a little unity right now. Right. And, 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 and so, so that's good, you know, and, and I was thinking about how similar the, uh, the idea of the Fae and the changelings is to, the um uh the mexican myth of la llorona to go back to 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 the conjuring universe you know uh we we got that film a couple years ago and uh that was one that surprised me because i wasn't expecting much and uh and and it's again you know uh, the the fear of losing your your children uh that's you know i have to imagine it's the worst thing that can happen to a parent um, you know, I can't even imagine what that would be like. So, um, yeah, you know, it, 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 it is our fears that unite us. Yes. And, and there's, like I said, there's, there's, there's a reason for that. Like there's, there's, there's a, there's an understanding universally that there, there are some things that are just human and you know that this idea of telling stories to explain our basis fears might be the most human thing ever 
everything in entertainment boils down to the idea of telling stories that explain why we think the way we do and why we're afraid of the things that we're afraid of. And this, this did a great job of just bringing you another perspective of it. I love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, so thank you, all of you that have been with us uh, from the top of the show to now, uh, from the top of the morning, as it were, uh, <laughs> into the evening. Uh, thank you particularly to Mr. Kowalski. It's always good. Yes, to have we you appreciate on. you, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, and even if you didn't, uh make sure that you tune into the other geek bro network podcasts uh shows like mount geekmore which daniel and i are also on uh i'm sure it will come back eventually uh, it's uh i do be- i do believe the plan is to be back within the next two weeks neary has finally had a little uh a little breathing time in his schedule on monday so i do believe the plan is to be back within the next two weeks i could be wrong but you know we're always around we are always around uh, shows like what's up, bro shows like kick flicks, comedy, fitness, our sister show, Crimacopia, uh, seasons, a TV podcast, a dose of Ellie and uh, the immensely popular Better Let me tell you. Yeah, uh, uh, they are the monster within they the, uh, the the geek bro network. They they are very they are very much like uh, the 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 figurehead of, of what things could be. Also, <laughs> um, and it may not be it may not be geek bro and uh, off the top of my head i can't remember but if you if you head over to nary's page um that you can find at geekbro.net he's got a new podcast coming out with aries spears i believe that's supposed uh, to premiere yeah, they, soon they're old but buddies I, yeah like but I, I cannot off the top of my head remember what we're thinking about but if you head to geekbro.net and you kind of circulate the site what's up bro is kind of where this all originated uh with nary's podcast and he's got something new coming with aries spears so keep your eyes out for that i'm not sure if it's going to be a geek bro show or not but it is going to have nary he is a geek bro so we want to make sure that we promote that also make sure that on whatever podcast app you listen to i especially know on spotify and itunes it works this way i'm not sure about mm-hmm. iHeartRadio, but you can rate podcasts so if you really do enjoy listening to us make sure you head over there give us that four or five star rating move us up that algorithm let's see if we can get our listeners up if you are ever wondering what we're doing, make sure you follow us on all social medias at ShiverPod. I have currently taken over the Twitter feed just to talk about the Friday the 13th <laughs> movies. When we finish up here, I'm a little tipsy and I'm going to watch Jason Goes to Hell. So it might be a really good time. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm very get, excited. Get ready. Have you ever seen it before? I have not seen Jason Goes to Hell. I had seen, like, here's oh, the thing. Man. Like last night, last night it was getting late and I was like, you know what I need to do? I've seen Jason Takes Manhattan. I need to plow through Jason Takes Manhattan so I can really give Jason Goes to Hell my full attention tomorrow because I've actually never seen Jason Goes to Hell or Jason X. Um, I've, so- I've, I've been learning that there's a lot of these movies that I've seen smatterings of, but mm-hmm. after like three, there weren't a ton that I'd actually seen beginning to end. I'd just seen bits and pieces of, you know, on like sci-fi and stuff like right. that before you get bored and change the channel. And I've seen some scenes from Jason Goes to Hell, but I've never seen the whole thing. So Jason Goes to Hell and uh, Jason X came about because Sean Cunningham, the original director of Friday the 13th, had been for years trying to get a uh, Freddy versus Jason movie going. Right. And there was uh, there, there was a lot of problems legal issues in getting that done 
because I believe that um, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies are owned new, by Warner Brothers. New Line. It's new Line. Yeah, New Line Pictures, I believe, is owned by Warner Brothers. And Friday the 13th is owned by Paramount. Yes. So to make that happen was like a, a, a logistical nightmare. And every time it seemed like it was just about to happen, it would fall through. So to keep Jason in like the social consciousness, he would just bring out another one. <laughs> and so Jason goes to hell is the first attempt to, you know, revitalize Jason and bring him back into uh, into pop culture. He needed and something after takes Manhattan. It is fucking weird and wacky, and uh, Jason can do things that you've never seen him do before and never will see him do again. Fucking weird as hell. hell uh, yeah. the, the continuity that uh, there was at least in Friday the 13th, it's my favorite horror franchise. <laughs> um, so I, I say this with all, all the, the, the love in my heart. For all the shit that is Friday the 13th, at the very least, there is a continuity. Yes. Very whatever so. however how, the last movie ends how, the how next razor one. thin it may be <laughs> it's like no, no no he's still at the bottom of the lake okay yeah, yeah. oh okay cool yeah so that's about to Manhattan. shit happens uh <laughs> that is thrown out the window with jason uh goes to hell Love i mean it. It, it just like how the fuck does this it doesn't matter it does not matter and then with jason x again thrown out the window um i'm not saying they're not enjoyable I am saying they're not good, but I am saying they're enjoyable well, as hell. Well, uh, and, and as I'm long as you go excited. into it with that mindset. Um, the, the one thing, if, if I ever decide to do this again, I swear to God, I'm going to keep track of how many panes of glass Jason breaks because Jason Voorhees will break a pane of glass. Jason Voorhees gives no fuck about glass. I have never <laughs> in the history of a movie franchise seen so many windows broken. He is constantly breaking windows. That's the standout for me right Jumping now. Jumping through, getting thrown out of them. It Reaching doesn't matter. Reaching through and choking. Yeah, doesn't mm -hmm. matter. Breaking glass. Portholes and boats, broken. It doesn't matter. <laughs> he's, he's breaking them all. That being by said, the way, the fucking axe to death by a, by, a, by a fucking guitar. Yes. Being axed by an axe, that's one of the most fucking heavy metal Dope. and brutal things in yes. the entire series. I, I regret nothing about this decision to go through and watch them all. <laughs> I have been loving my evenings. Um, but so if you follow us at Shiver Pod, like I said, I've taken over our Twitter and done that, but also on our Instagram and our Twitter, you can find where we'll talk about the episodes that we have coming up. And next week, we are going to fix what we realized about a month ago was a glaring hole in our movie repertoire that we have done since I have been on this podcast and we're going to address a zombie movie and damn it. We're going to start. We're going to start at the top, the pinnacle, the top of the heap as we are going to do day of the dead next week. This correct? Is, yeah. This is my favorite in the George Romero uh, dead series. And uh, when uh, Romero passed a number of years ago, this is the one that we did to uh, to sort of honor him. Uh, now, Daniel was not on the show at that time. So this is a great opportunity to revisit a, uh, a zombie horror classic and uh, a movie that, that I think deserves to be talked about all the time. So tune in next week. We will be back to Wednesdays next week. Shit got a little bit hectic this week. 
But uh, next week we will be back. <laughs> Frank Kowalski <laughs> says, let's go. And then coughs into his elbow three times. <laughs> He's feeling it. He knows what's up with this movie. We will be back on Wednesdays, 9, 8 central next week. We'll be talking Day of the Dead. Um, and it's mm, the zombie movie is a place that has a special place in both our hearts. We just, mm-hmm. it's just taken us a little while to get around to it. So make sure you follow us on all of our social media at ShiverPod. We'll be back next Wednesday and we'll be doing the damn thing. We appreciate you guys so much. Frank, you've been awesome tonight. Anybody else who may listen, make sure you chime in. Even if you mm-hmm. haven't seen the movie, we say something you think's funny. Let us know. We're attention horse. That's why we do this. <laughs> anyway, we appreciate each and every one of you listeners so much. And from the bottom of our hearts, we hope you have a great night and fright you very much. <laughs>